0: I'm guessing that many of you have heard that story before that story of the father and his two sons from Luke 15 and I'm wondering as you heard that story read again this morning or maybe for the first time there were three main characters in that story and I wondered which one of those three you most feel like today or that you most closely identify with today would it be the younger son? The younger son who was tired of hard work, who was um, charging after all the fun he could enjoy, what looked like fun to him, he was getting into trouble as a result. He was wasting money and opportunities, hitting the bottom and then having to crawl back to his family in shame, and then being astonished at how he was received by his father. Or did you feel more uh, sympathetic to the older brother, the older brother who's Life was, was defined by hard work, who was faithful in doing his work, faithfully obeying what his father had in mind for him, faithfully following the rules, and annoyed by people who weren't keeping the rules in the same way that he was, feeling like they were getting a free pass to things that he'd worked hard for, and maybe a little irritated with his dad, who seemed a little out of touch with how the real world works and what, what, was, what this was really costing them. Or did you feel more like the father? Did you resonate more with who the father is? Broken-hearted by the choices that both of his sons were making. brokenhearted hearted by the distance between him and each of his sons and willing to pay a very high price to be reconnected with them. Caring more about their relationships with him than he did about his stuff or his money. Caring more about those relationships. My guess is that as you move through your life course, You'll have sympathies with different ones of them at different times in your life, depending on what's happening. And I'm just inviting you to think about which of them is, is most like you this morning or which one you're most like this morning. I heard a, story, a sermon about this story about 10 years ago that I've never forgotten. And that sermon, I think, stuck with me because it gets right at the heart of why we follow Jesus. We heard about that at the beginning of the, of the service today. The question of why you follow Jesus or why you obey God. The sermon that I, I heard was preached by Tim Keller. If you know him, Tim Keller is a wise and insightful pastor who is now retired, but his sermons and his insights have been a tremendous gift to the church over the last 20 or 30 years. I know some of you are, are very big fans of his, as, I, as am I, and the themes of what I'm going to talk about this morning are woven through a lot of his teaching, especially in the last 10 or 15 years of his ministry. Uh, I'm going to use his framework to talk about this story Um, but I'm going to present it in my own words. If you want to pursue this further, he actually has a book that he's written about this called Prodigal God, Prodigal God. The setting for this story is given to us up at the beginning of chapter 15 of Luke, where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law come to Jesus and they're asking him questions. These are the church leaders of their day. And the main question they're asking is, why is Jesus eating with sinners? Why is Jesus eating with sinners? That may not make a whole lot of sense to you, but essentially what they were asking is why does he uh, connect with, why does he spend time with bad people? Why is he not, why is he breaking the rules about staying away from bad people? Their notion was, and ours is too to some extent, that, you know, bad, how do we say it, bad company corrupts good character, I think is how we say it, that if you hang around with bad people, they're going to rub off on you and draw you into bad behavior And so the Jews of the time had really clear rules and understandings among themselves about keeping your distance from bad people. The irony is that these were the church leaders of their day, and yet God, and they didn't understand this, but God himself was in front of them, and they were confused and offended by some of the things that Jesus was doing. And it had a lot to do with why he wasn't keeping the proper distance from bad people. And so Jesus in Luke 15 answers that question by telling three stories. He first tells a story about a lost coin, and then he tells a story about a lost sheep, and then this story for this morning about the lost son. And these stories are mainly addressed to the people asking that question, the religious leaders. The the, the intended audience for this story is those leaders who are asking him, why are you not keeping your distance from bad people? These are the religious leaders were confident of their standing before God. And yet, as I said, they're a little bewildered by who Jesus is. They can tell he's doing good things, obviously healing and the teaching that he's he's teaching makes sense and it's good stuff, but he's also doing these maddeningly. He's pushing the boundaries, crossing the boundaries in a maddening way that's confusing to them. Doing things that they know all good Jews, all respectable people follow these rules and Jesus isn't doing that. So they're trying to figure him out. And they, they're a little offended by who, how he's behaving. But in this story, one of the keys to understanding the story is to understand that both the younger son and the older son are alienated from their father. There's distance between the father and the younger son, and there's distance between the father and the older son. In this parable, in the story Jesus told, the father represents God and we learn that in this story, the younger brother doesn't really love his father. He just loves his father's money. He's just interested in his father's money. We also learn that the older brother doesn't really love his father. He's mostly interested in his father's stuff, in the, what he's going to inherit from his father one day as the older son. So the younger son uses, uh, uses that money to go in a very, very bad direction. The older son uses that uh, that carrot, the thing he is uh, attracted to, to be very, very good, trying to measure up by being very, very good. In this story, the older brothers stand for the religious leaders. They're the they're represented by the older brother in the story because they think that God, The old religious leaders think that God is with them. They think that God has to answer their prayers. They've done all the right things, so they know God is on their side. But what the twist in the story for them is that. In the end of the story, it's the bad son who is saved, and it's the good son who is lost. It turns things upside down. The the, the bad son is the one who is saved, and the good good son is the one who is lost. And so we come, again, to this core issue in the story, which is the reasons why these two sons obey, the reasons why they obey. That's the point of the story. The first is the older brother's mindset of why he's obeying. The older brother obeys in order to earn his father's acceptance. He wants to stay in good standing with his father. So he's thinking, I obey, therefore I am accepted. We might call this the religious mindset or religion, the way religion works. I obey, and then I'm accepted. The younger brother's mindset after he is restored to his father is I am accepted therefore, I obey. I obey because I'm accepted. We might refer to this as a gospel mindset, what we've already heard this morning in our teaching and in our singing. But the key question here is why they're obeying, the reasons for, or the mindset behind their obedience. And you know, the truth is that people with these two mindsets live together in the body of Christ, in, in the congregation. Some of us are obeying in order to earn God's favor. Some of us are obeying because we know and are delighted by God's favor that God has already accepted us. Both of us are obeying God, but some of us are trusting in religion, trusting in our own goodness, while others of us are trusting in the gospel, trusting in the goodness of Jesus, in the goodness of Jesus Christ. Religious people obey God to get things, to get God's favor, Gospel-minded people obey God to get more of God, not to get God's favor. Because we already have God's favor, we obey out of gratitude and joy, understanding that everything we could possibly want is already ours in Jesus Christ, everything we could possibly want. So the gospel mindset is God has redeemed me by his grace, so then I live right for him. I want to live right for him because he's redeemed me by his grace. Because of the incredible sacrifice of Jesus Christ, because I'm already accepted even though I am not worthy, I now want to live for him. I now want to live rightly for him because of what he's done for me. So our obedience is a response of gratitude and joy to what has already happened in our lives. So we... All of us who have come to Christ, I think, have known this at some time in our lives. The challenge for us and the problem is that over time, we tend to drift back into a religious mindset, which is the cause of a lot of spiritual deadness within our own lives. Over time, we tend to drift back into thinking like older brothers. We tend to drift back into thinking that our standing with God is based on our performance, that our acceptance with God hinges on our obedience to God. And so emotionally, we we kind of fall into the habit of thinking, if I obey, then I'll be accepted. But if I fail to obey or if I stumble in my obedience, I'll be rejected. Somebody said a few years ago, the natural religion of every human heart is self-righteousness, trusting in our own goodness rather than in the goodness of Jesus. The natural religion of the the human heart is is self-righteousness. Our tendency is to trust in our own goodness rather than in the goodness of Jesus. And I'm sorry to tell you, but this is true for me too. I'm not, this is not a sermon where I'm wagging my finger at you and pointing at you. Although I hope you're listening carefully. I'm talking to myself as well, because I know this is true for me. I mean, I understand this distinction between religion and the gospel, and I've carried it with me all these years, and yet when I'm embarrassed by something I say or a situation that I've mishandled, my confidence with God gets a little wobbly. And I think, oh, no, oh, no, I'm, I'm failing to obey the way I want to. Whether it's obeying as a husband, you know, t- times when I've been selfish in my relationship with Nita or I've been impatient with her, or if I'm tired and I feel like things have built up for a while and I'm, I don't want to get back at her, believe it or not, this happens, uh, <laughs> And I, I can be petty and mean. I'm somebody who pays attention to details. And so I, I I, will sometimes resort to being mean. And after that happens, I think, what a worm. I mean, what? I thought I was beyond that. I thought I was above that. And there I did it again. If you've been married a long time, you know that there are, we call them tapes, and as we, t- Need, and I talk about it with each other, but there are, there are habits that you get into in your marriage of ways that you, mistre- you, you treat each other well, but habits of misunderstanding or mistreatment, and when it happens again, you kind of look at each other and think, how did that happen again? And when, I, when, I, when that happens to me and I don't hold up my end well, I think, oh, how, how, have I, how have I, am I still in this place? or as a dad i know you know there were times when our children were at home and um, we were in the th- in the thick of training and so on um, and th- there were moments, we have two sons and a daughter and as our sons got older they became more and more of a challenge to train and to shape and so there were times where i confess that i let nita deal with them in times where i was just lazy i could hear something happening in the other room with my sons and i would know that something needed to be addressed and I was just whiny and tired and lazy that day. And I thought, she's she's stepping into it. I'll just let her handle it. I'll escape this one. And later I thought, what what a, what is dad? I mean, I, where was I with, when that happened? And I think, oh, God, you know, forgive me. And honestly, as a pastor, I'm not perfect either. You know, when the words I say to somebody don't come out quite right. And after I end the conversation, I think, oh, I, I just didn't say that the way I want to or if I, my life is busy and I forget to call somebody who's in pain, I, I re, re, realize a day later, oh, I meant to call them yesterday and I forgot. And I think, oh, what a failure. But I remind myself, usually can come back to reminding myself that God's love for me does not depend on my perfection. God's love for me does not blow hot and cold depending on how good a, or bad a day I had or how strong my obedience was or how weak it was. God's love for me never fails and thankfully does not depend on my perfection and neither does yours. God's love for you does not depend on your perfection. God's love for you depends on who he is, on who God is, and it flows faithfully from the core of God's being. The Bible says God is love. God loves because of who he is, not because of who we are or what we've done. And yet, and yet, you and I tend to drift back into that religious mindset, don't we? I tend, to, I, I tend to drift back into thinking I need to live right in order to please God. And if I really try hard to live right, God will accept me. And so I end up obeying God or following him out of a sort of an anxious hope that I've done enough or that I've obeyed well enough. And I, I tend to live with some fear and anxiety in my relationship with God because I'm never sure, even as a Christian, I'm never sure if I've done quite enough or if I've done quite well enough. And I lose touch with the fact that it's the goodness of Jesus that's the foundation of my acceptance with God. It's not my own goodness. Yes, I want to turn away from my failings. So I'm going to repent of those, but my, my relationship with God does not depend on them. I want to give you a few ways to recognize a few signs that you're drifting back into an older brother mindset. As we've talked about it as a concept, I want to give you uh, five ways, five symptoms, you might say, that we've drifted or that we're drifting back into an older brother mindset. And the first one is that you get angry when your life doesn't go well. You become angry when your prayers aren't answered the way you want them to be or your circumstances are just too challenging because you think God's not doing his job to make your life go well. You think God owes you because you've done all of the right things. Like the older brother in this story, I've served you faithfully all these years, and what have you done for me? We become angry, sometimes very angry, because we think God is not doing what, what we asked him to do or what God wants us to do. Yes, of course, we all become sad or we're all dis- disappointed, maybe even discouraged when the circumstances of our lives don't work out the way we hoped they would or when they're painful, but older brothers become angry about that, Angry. So what's your reaction when the circumstances in your life don't work out the way you'd hoped? When you have a bad day or a rough week, do you think, I've lived a good life? I've worked very hard for God. I've done all the right things, and God is not coming through for me. I've lived my life right, and God, so you owe me. Or are you more inclined to be patient and trusting and understanding that we live in a broken world, and sometimes you're impacted by your own choices, sometimes the choices of other people. And that God will bring good out of our circumstances no matter what they are. We understand, do you also understand that disappointing circumstances, circumstances can't be punishment because Jesus has taken all of your punishment, all the punishment you deserve or need. Jesus has taken that punishment on himself. We also know that Jesus lived a hard life. There were, there were lots of challenging circumstances in his life, but that couldn't have been punishment because we know he lived a sinless life. And yet he wasn't shielded from the hard stuff of life any more than we are. So, one of the first signs of an, of an older brother mindset is that we become angry when our lives don't work out the way we want. The second is that we respond to criticism either with defensiveness or being devastated. We just can't handle criticism as an older brother. Because our standing with God and our opinions of ourselves is based on our good behavior. And if that is ever challenged, if we're ever made to think somehow we're not measuring up, we either become really defensive and we want to fight with somebody or we become devastated because we can't face our our weaknesses or our failings. So when you stumble or when you fail to obey the way you want to or the way you know God calls you to, do you feel like your faith is destroyed, like you're an utter failure? Do you think that God turns away from you? Or does your stumbling in obedience turn, uh, drive you deeper into the grace of God, calling out to God to have mercy to continue his transforming work in your life? Are you reminded that the foundation of our self-understanding as followers of Jesus is that we, are all, we all begin as sinners saved by God's grace? We're transformed by the grace of God as we grow on with him but we are sinners saved by God's grace and that nothing of who we are is the result of our own goodness, but it's because of the goodness of Jesus Christ, that God loves us anyway, that we are free free because of our understanding, our deep understanding and grasp of the grace and the love of God in our lives. So one sign is being angry when your life doesn't work out well. The second is responding to criticism with defensiveness or being devastated. A third is that all of your prayers are petitionary prayers they're all petitions to god what, all of your prayers to god is like reviewing your spiritual shopping list the things that you have in mind for god to get for you or to provide for you now there's a place for that kind of prayer but if that's all the kind if that's all that you ever pray about it probably means that you're drifting into an older brother mindset because you don't have a lot of concern for other people and the needs around you and because your prayers never include any kind of, don't have any sense of intimacy or intensity, that you don't have time for contemplation or adoration of God, just being able to enjoy God in prayer. Maybe if if you come to worship services and you wonder why the people around you are moved by the songs, moved by the prayers, sometimes crying or kneeling or putting their hands up and you think, what is their problem? Probably want to be careful there. That's kind of like an older brother, that's a bit of an older brother mindset, not being able to enter into the adoration of God, the praise of God. A fourth symptom would be that you struggle to not look down on or despise other people who are struggling. You struggle not to look down on other people because they're just not keeping up with you in the goodness competition. They're They're not trying as hard as you are. And so you don't respect them, you look down on them. So when people around you aren't measuring up to your standards, what is your reaction? Do you feel superior? Do you look at them and think, I'm making the effort. Why aren't you? What's, what's wrong with you? Or do you have compassion for somebody who's struggling, aware, again, that you are sinner saved by God's grace and realizing that God's grace is the only difference between how I'm doing and how somebody else might be doing? I think the phrase we sometimes say is, there but for the grace of God, go I. I would be in that situation except for the grace of God at work in my life. And finally, related to that one is the fifth sign, is that you can't forgive other people. You, can't, you struggle to forgive other people because they're just not keeping up. They're just not trying as hard as you think they ought to be. Do you realize that you can't stay bitter or angry with somebody unless you feel at least some measure of superiority to them? Unless you feel some measure of being better than that person? A younger brother who is not counting on their own goodness to gain God's acceptance has grace for the weaknesses and the failings of other people because a younger brother knows that is familiar with their own weaknesses and their own failings. Well, I've told you that we all tend to drift back into the older brother mindset over time especially if you, if you follow on for a period of time, just by the, the living in this world, I think it tends to push us in that direction and it makes much more sense to our emotional brains. <laughs> but if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I wanna urge you to remember that you are a sinner saved by God's grace, that you started that way, that, because, that you are who you are because of the love and the grace of God. You are who you are because of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Not because of your own goodness and not because you've been able to fix yourself, but because of the transforming power of God. You are no longer who you used to be. And yet remembering we all started out as sinners saved by God's grace. So that's sort of the bad news. If we all tend to drift in this direction, surely there is a way for us to work against that, to resist that. Let me give you two two keys to rooting out this mindset, two keys to resisting this in our lives and in our habits. The first one is you need to get to a deeper level, a new level of repentance, a new level of repentance. We're familiar with the level of repentance where we repent of our sins, the things that we do wrong. We're familiar with apologizing to God, apologizing to the people we hurt for the things that we've done wrong. A deeper level of repentance, though, is repenting for the reasons why we obey, the, the flawed reasons why we obey. If we're, trying to, uh, if we're obeying God because we're trying to earn his favor, I want to invite you to repent of that this morning, to give that up and to turn away from it, a new level of repentance. Someone with a religious mindset tends to think that they're doing God a favor by obeying him, by following him. <clears throat> So are you obeying God this morning because you want to get things from God, because you want what God can give you? Are you trying to buy God's favor with your goodness, or are you obeying God to get more of God? Do you already know deep in your heart that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less? The acceptance of God is not based on your obedience. So that's the new level of repentance, repenting for our our trust in our own goodness rather than trusting in the goodness of Jesus. The second key is to get to a new level of rejoicing, a new level of rejoicing, realizing that you have what's missing in the story, that you have what's missing in the story. In this story, when the younger brother went away, That meant that everything the father owns now belongs to the older brother, right? Everything that remains. The story says that uh, the father sold off the part of his estate that would have gone to the younger brother, and that means that everything that remains belongs to the older brother. So the cost of welcoming the younger brother back has to be borne by the older brother, essentially, The cost of the fatted calf, the cost of the feast, the cost of the robe, whatever else, the ring, all of those things now belong to the older brother. And here the father is giving those things to the younger brother. The cost of welcoming the younger brother back comes out of the older brother's share of the estate. In the culture of this time, it was the role or the job of the older brother to, to keep the family together, to do everything that was needed to keep the family together, to care for, you might say, the lost sheep of the family and that's what's missing in this story. What's missing in this story is an older brother who's carrying out his task, a true older brother. The young man in this story did not have a true older brother who would bring him back at his own expense, but you do. You do. You and I have a true older brother who brought us into the family of God, reconciled us with God at his own expense. Everything that comes to us in Christ comes to us at the expense of the Lord Jesus, out of his share of the Father's estate. Philippians 2 says that he set aside his privileges. He set aside his comforts. And even when he came to live among us, as much of a condescension as that was, as much of a step down as that was for him, even that he gave up. His physical, the life of his physical body, he gave up for us. In, humil- in humiliation and in suffering and pain. All of the cost of bringing us back to the Father was paid for by our true older brother. A price that he gladly and faithfully paid. So much so that Hebrews says that we've become co-heirs with Jesus. We've become brothers and sisters of Jesus, the one who brought us back into the family of God. And because of the price he paid, we stand to receive everything that Jesus deserves When you truly and deeply understand that, when that settles deep into your soul, that takes you to a new level of rejoicing, a new deeper level of rejoicing, of adoration, of amazement at the love of God, at the extent to which God is willing to go, was willing to go to to reconcile us to himself. That understanding will humble you. It will lift you out of your insecurity and it will destroy your older brotherness your older brother mindset. So a, a deeper level, a new level of, of repentance and a new level of rejoicing. So very simply this morning, the question I want to leave with you is why are you obeying God or why are you trying to obey God? Are you obeying God so that he will accept you or are you obeying God because he has al- you have already been accepted by God? Is obedience, are you hoping obedience will lead to acceptance or is your obedience flowing out of your acceptance? If you're obeying God because you're a good person, because you want to make sure you have enough good deeds in God's bank, if you're obeying because you want to put God in your debt, in debt to you, if you are angry with God because you think he's letting you down or he's not answering your prayers quite the way you wanted him to, if you know that you overreact to criticism, if your prayers to God are almost all asking God for what he will give you or do for you, if you find yourself looking down on other people and struggling to forgive them, then I invite you this morning to repent of your attachment to your own goodness, to repent of your counting on your own good deeds. I invite you to realize and to acknowledge to God that you too are a sinner saved by God's grace. And I I urge you to call out to God, call out to God to ask him to help you understand and experience his love and his grace to you in a far more profound way than you have ever understood or experienced it before. The bad news is is that you can never be good enough to please God. That's the bad news. You can never be good enough to please God. The good news is that Jesus has already pleased God on your behalf, so you don't need to. As Paul says, not that that then just frees us to wander into sin. No, we live transformed lives because of our gratitude that Jesus has been willing to uh, cover us with his goodness, with his righteousness. But if you're here this morning and you're obeying because God has already accepted you, if you understand that everything you could possibly want is already yours through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you know deep in your soul that there's no amount of good that you could possibly do to earn God's favor, then thanks be to God. Thanks be to God because you understand the good news that Jesus came to announce, which is that you can trade in your sinfulness for his righteousness if you will merely accept his sacrifice for you. Thanks be to God because you're living your life in the grace and the freedom of the children of God, and you know what it is to experience new life and joy and freedom, and your faithful obedience is flowing out of gratitude for what God has already done for you, and may that be so for each and every one of us as we go from this place today. Lord, we thank you this morning again. Profoundly grateful and profoundly joyful for all of what you've made possible for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were and are a true older brother, the one who has gone to incredible lengths, lengths that no one would have ever expected you to go or asked you to go, and none of us would ever have understood, expected that, or imagined that possible. And yet you did all of those things. It was in your joy and in your pleasure that you gave up your privileges that you suffered and died for us. Lord, I ask you as well to continue, Holy Spirit, to continue by your transforming grace and power to turn us away from a religious mindset where we drift into thinking that our own goodness is what, what you're looking for or that somehow our acceptance with you continues to hinge on how good we can be before you. Lord, I ask you to to, to root the gospel deeply in our hearts, the understanding that it's the goodness of Jesus that pleases you. It's the goodness of Jesus that enables us to live different lives, to live lives that please you.